If you happen to have a red letter edition of the Bible this morning, and we'll just take a glance right now at the pages of today's text, you will notice that all of the words uh, on both pages before you are in red. The same is true for all of the words in the next page of the Bible. And of course, that's because all of Matthew chapter 5, all of chapter 6, and all of chapter 7, all of this text is the beloved Sermon on the Mount preached by our own Lord Jesus. And yes, this is a beloved and very familiar text, if you're not including the specific verses that we just read. In other words, you know, the vast majority of the sermons and Sunday school lessons and devotionals that we've heard from this amazing sermon, most all of them are typically taken up with everything except for the section that Brother Andy just read. You see the first word of verse 3, blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the first word of verse 4. Blessed, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, 9, and 10. Those are the Beatitudes. And how many multitudes of sermons we've all heard on that great text. You'll notice in verse 13, he says, Ye are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, Ye are the light of the world. These are the familiar verses of Matthew chapter 5, unless, of course, you are uh, interested in divorce and remarriage, because then you'll be consumed with verses 31 and 32, or verse 41, go the extra mile, or verse 44, love your enemy. And then it goes into chapter 6 with the great Lord's Prayer, and seek ye first the kingdom of God. I mean, there is a reason, beloved, why this is called the greatest sermon ever preached. It may only take 20 minutes to read out loud, but it's taken 20 centuries to digest. And one of the reasons why some of the admonitions are so easily overlooked is that so many familiar verses can sometimes overshadow the less familiar ones, including, including the intriguing admonition from our Lord about relationships. Verse 22, you'll notice Jesus says, it's not just murder. Right? He says, but if you're angry against your brother without a cause. In other words, unrighteous indignation, then you're still. That is a matter of judgment. Therefore, here it is, look at verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift now wait a minute what's he talking about pastor what does that mean how does it apply to me and why does our lord who never wastes any words use some of the strongest strongest language on such a practical issue the last line of verse 21, in danger of judgment. The last line of verse 22, in danger of hellfire. The last line of verse 25, cast into prison. Folks, those are strong words. And all of them on the issue of relationships. And guess what? Couched in the midst of all of this language are certain spiritual principles, certain insights such as only the Lord Jesus could reveal. And so I hope you listen very carefully this morning. I want to speak on the subject vertical and horizontal. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today for your goodness and how we've been blessed already by the fellowship of your people, the singing of hymns and special music. But now we come to 
your word. And as Brother Steve prayed earlier, mentioned earlier, your word does not return void. We open our hearts to you now, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how often or how deeply you've thought about this, but if you're a Christian here today, if you're a child of God, there is literally nothing that is more important, nothing better for sure, than for you as a believer to be right with God. And of course, to understand the expression right with God, you first have to understand what is wrong. What's wrong with God? And the only way to understand what is wrong is to see things as God sees them. You see, folks, God makes the rules. He's God. And He makes the rules on what it means to be right with Him. Which introduces the very first lesson in our text, which is number one, the vision of God. To see as God does. Look at verse 21. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. He's quoting the law. Now look at verse 22. This is amazing. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Now, as you probably know, the Lord Jesus uses this this specific expression a lot of times in this sermon. Six times, in fact, to be accurate. You have heard that it hath been said, but I say unto you. Verse 27, you have heard that it hath been said of them old time. Verse 28, but I say unto you. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. Verse 34, but I say unto you, and so on. And yes, for some folks, these words of authority, think about it. He says, here's what I'm saying. Now, he's quoting the Old Testament, you have heard. Here's what I say. And for some people, it's led them to wonder why Jesus was, quote, superseding the law, which is the farthest thing from the truth. Beloved, Jesus authored the law. He said himself he came to fulfill the law. So that you see all that he's really saying in verse 21, for example, is that you people think, you religious leaders and so forth, you think that you can do anything you want up to not killing someone and then you're right with God. You can despise them. You can wish them dead. You can treat them like they're dead. And as long as you don't actually murder them, you're okay with God. And Jesus said, no, I know the law. I wrote the law. And the reason he said no is that as God, he has perfect vision. For example, he sees that there would never be any murder. In the first place, if there wasn't first hatred in the heart, Jesus was not refuting his law. He was refuting their conclusions about the law. And of course, the reason that that is so important and it's important to understand is that it leads to the second lesson in the text. We said, number one, there's the vision of God. Number two, I want you to notice, there is, number one, there is the, the second lesson is there is the voice of God. Now follow this carefully. Chapter five, verse 23. I want you to see and see if you catch a specific word. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, let me just reiterate what our Lord is speaking about here. The word therefore, in verse 23, tells us that he's applying this principle to those who have hatred and animosity toward another brother. 
He goes on to talk about calling someone Reka there in verse 22. The word Reka means ignorant. So in other words, calling someone a name that might destroy the reputation is very serious stuff to God. So he says, forget about your offering at worship. Forget about coming and bringing something to God if you harbor this kind of hatred. Reconciliation is a lot harder than donation. But it's way more valuable. So Jesus says, don't worry about your offering. Go first and try to reunite. Try to recon, uh, reconcile. Which is an obvious outgrowth of what he had just taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers in verse 4. Blessed are the merciful in verse 7. Blessed are the meek in verse 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means humble in verse 2. You're going to need all of those virtues when someone else has a grudge against you. The question is, what was the all-important word that I alluded to earlier? Because I can tell you right now, it's not an accidental word. Verse 23, Jesus says this, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there, there at the altar, rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Now note this. The word is remember. Pastor, why is that word so significant? Well, folks, it's significant, first of all, because our Lord used it. But you'll notice the reason he used it is because he knows God, Christ, knows what happens. And what happens is that many, many times when a believer gets on his knees to pray or comes to church on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or opens his Bible to read or brings an offering to give, many times the Holy Spirit of God brings something into remembrance. Verse 23 again, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, there, there at the altar, oh yes, often there, a lot of times there, and especially there. Folks, there is just something about coming into the presence of God that stirs the heart, that stokes the coals of your soul and reminds you to do the right thing. This is what Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 11. We're at the communion table that we're observing tonight. For example, at communion, remembering the Lord's sacrifice, you might remember something else about having ought against another. And by the way, it is also why he says what he does in verse 24. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First... Be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. You see, folks, the word first and quickly, you know what that tells us? It tells us that unless we act quickly on our conviction, we will probably neglect it and then forget it. The old proverb of blacksmiths was, strike while the iron is hot. In this case, Jesus says, if there, here at church, right now, at this moment, there in your prayer closet, there when you're having devotions, there when you're listening to some message while you're driving, if there at the altar you remember something, go do it first. Go, he says, and do it quickly. It is always, always a work of grace whenever your heart is convicted by the Holy Spirit. So why in the world would you ever wait and especially so 
when our spiritual memories are so dull. And in most cases, many cases, not just our spiritual memories, our actual memories, right? Someone said, not only is my short-term memory horrible, but so is my short-term memory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nursing home once and seminar there and and had a memory seminar, and we did a cheer. What do we want? Better memories. When do we want them? Want what? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, let me say this. If you, beloved, truly want the horizontal to be right, if you want to be right with God, sometimes, as the text shows, Jesus says, you have to get the vertical right. And especially so if the Spirit of God is bringing that to your remembrance. When the angel would stir the waters at the pool at Siloam, that was the time to act, not later. And when the Spirit stirs your heart, it's always, always time to act. You know, there are a lot of things that we can do too soon, too early, and too quickly. You can eat a banana too soon. You can get married too soon. Probably shouldn't say amen to that, fellas. You can buy a house too soon. You can plant flowers too soon. There are a lot of things in life where the time's not right, and it's just too soon to act. But folks, it is never, ever too soon to do the right thing and obey His voice. When Jesus says in verse 24, leave there, leave right there, That moment, thy gift at the altar and go thy way first. It sounds kind of hasty, right? I mean, you traveled all that distance. You entered the house of God or wherever that altar was, the temple in this case, and you brought it and you laid it there and you're about to give it. And Jesus says, leave it. Just go off. It sounds hasty. There's the sacrifice. You're leaving. And people say, where are you going? There's something I need to do. Now? Yeah, especially now. When Jesus says in verse 25, agree with your adversary now while you're in the way with him. Folks, he was illustrating that doing the right thing now keeps you right with God. And if you're today and already the Spirit of God is right now at this moment speaking to your heart and reminding you of something. Maybe some of you in this room, and I have no doubt about this. Some, if not many in this room right now, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart about Jesus Christ and getting saved. You don't even wait for the invitation. You open your heart where you are right now. You say, I know I'm a sinner. Now. But Pastor, that sounds like haste, like like being impetuous. Just leave your sacrifice and, and go get reconciled. You know what? I would agree with that except for this word remember. Because the fact that he remembered And he remembered something, and in this case, someone. That tells you that this was a lingering issue. It wasn't a brand new thing. This isn't his first opportunity to do the right thing, but it could be his last. Isn't it amazing how Satan wants us to hurry up to do something wrong, but to take our time when we're supposed to do something right? I remember in the 1970s, I worked at UPS. Well, I was in Bible College, downtown Chicago, five days a week on the weekends at that same time. I worked on a church bus route in Chicago. 
So that means that for those two years, at least, before I became a welder in Chicago Heights, for those two years, we would drive to Chicago from our dorms seven days a week, every single day. Shareville, Indiana, Jefferson Street, Chicago. We would drive it, and we could drive it in our sleep. Sometimes I think I was half asleep on the way. Every Saturday, it was visit the bus families, just go walking around and visit them for nine hours, and then every Sunday, we would go back and pick them up and take them to church. And sometimes, in order to shave off just a few minutes, we would take the Chicago Skyway, which was a toll route, and it cost 50 cents. And every Sunday, after church, on the way home with all of these kids, we're talking about a whole bunch of kids. As the bus captain, I would lead them in songs and some stories and games and just a lot of fun, and Always, before the first stop in Chicago, which was 45-minute drive and so forth, we'd give away a prize to whoever sang the loudest. This is a packed-out bus. About 100 poor Latino kids who were full of life. So almost always, the singing prize was a $1 bill. To those kids, it looked like a million-dollar bill. And they sang like it. They lifted the roof of that bus. And so we're on our way, and I checked my pockets. I didn't have a dollar bill. And my bus workers didn't have a dollar. The bus driver only had a $20 bill. And I remember he said to me, he said, Brother Jim, I love souls and I love Jesus, but not that much. (laughs) So the kids are waiting. They know the routine. They're waiting for me to hold up the $1 bill. And all I had in my pocket was the receipt from that Chicago Skyway. So I thought, that'll be the price. And I held it up and I said, kids, you know what this is? And a little boy said, that ain't no dollar. (laughs) I said, no, it's not. I said, but you know what this is? This is one of a kind. In fact, literally, it's the only one of its kind in the entire world. They were like, hmm. I said, do you know what this says? It says, one guy kid, it says, you loco la cabeza. And I said, no, it doesn't say that. It says right here, Chicago Skyway. And under that is today's date, Sunday, September the 18th, 1977. And then I said, right here. Underneath that is the exact time, the exact time that we passed through that booth, 2.38 point whatever p.m. That makes this the only Chicago Skyway receipt like this in the entire universe, and there will never, ever be another one like it, ever. And that's not all I said. You see where it says 50 cents right there? That's just the original, the original cost for this rare one-of-a-kind piece of paper. Now, kids, it's the only one I have. It's the only one I'll ever have. And only one of you is going to get it. If you sing, whoever sings the loudest, and I'm telling you, man, I said, who wants it? Mob. Instant mob. Mayhem. Black Friday on Sunday. I mean, they, they went look like a vesa. They never sang so loud, and especially as time was running out and getting close to the houses. And I remember I gave it to a little boy named Angel, Aniel, Angel, and when he got it, the kids crowded around him, and and they wanted to look at it and get a glimpse and touch it. It's a receipt. (laughs) After the first stop, the bus driver looked at me, and he said, he said, Jim, that's shameful. (laughs) You should be embarrassed conning a kid like that. I said, you should talk. You're the one holding out on Jesus. I had two mites, and I gave it all. You gave nothing. (laughs) He's a missionary today, by the way. Anyway, a few months later, went home for Christmas. I came back in January. I was out visiting on my bus route, and I came to Angel's house. They opened the door. 
Little angel grabbed me and hugged me. He said, Brother Jim, I got to show you something. He took me back to his, his bedroom, and there in his little league trophy case, propped up and protected, was that little receipt. I looked at his mom. She rolled her eyes. <laughs> then I felt bad, so I gave him $2. I second him to bed, and I said, Angel, I said, you do know that's not worth anything. And I have to be honest, you do realize that that's not going to gain in value. It's not valuable. He was nine years old, and he looked at me and said, it's worth something to me. I reminded Angel that the devil tries to deceive them. His old, older brother was into drugs and um, in and out of jail. That the devil tries to deceive them into taking stuff that is of no value. And he understood. That night on the way home, I started to think about those kids in Chicago. And again, their older siblings all messed up in sin, and I thought, that's how it is. The devil and the world wants them all to act now, right now, on that which is wrong and destructive and foolish. That's the con. But nobody encourages them to do and to do right and to follow Christ right now. Nobody encourages them just at this moment. Nobody insists on doing the right thing immediately because time is running out. Look at the text. Jesus did. In fact, our Lord always does. When someone said that they would follow him and then he said, this person said, well, let me first go back and sell some property. Jesus said, no. Now. Now you follow me right here and now be my disciple. It is never too soon. It is never hasty. It is never impetuous to do the right thing. And in part, beloved, because time and life is so short. Can I tell you something? If you doubt that time flies, go home today. Go into your bathroom and stand in front of a mirror. Pull out your valid driver's license and compare your faces. I mean, look at the mirror, then look at your driver's license. Look at the mirror, look at your driver's license. You'll get depressed, you're welcome. <laughs> and you'll see visually how quickly time flies and how much and how quickly we change. Embrace the brevity of life and make the best and the right decisions right here, right now. We said, number one, there's a lesson about the vision of God. Number two, we said there's a lesson about the voice of God. Number three, I want you to notice finally a lesson about the values of God. Look at verse 23 again. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. And go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Now wait a minute. You recognize there's a whole lot of truth and admonition in this text about getting right with God by getting right with another. There's a lot of truth about the vertical and the horizontal and acting now on one for the other. But let me remind you of an obvious overriding truth of God here. And that is this. When Jesus said, don't worry as much about the gift, your donation... Go get things right with your brother first. You do know what he was revealing. 
you recognize that he was reminding us of this consistent message in Scripture that to God, people are more important than piety or religion. People is what matters. God cares more about your heart than he would ever care about your offering. And he cares more about your brother than he does about your ritual. I see people sometimes knock a visitor over to go get their seat because it's their seat. Because that's what they do every week and they have to do what they do all the time. That person is far more important than that pew. Jesus talks a lot about the law in this sermon. But you do know that the theme is that love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. The Pharisees, they came to Jesus, and and one of them, which was a lawyer, said, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment in the law? No doubt they were waiting and listening, wanting to know which prohibition, because that's what they were all about. Don't do this, can't do that. What's the greatest commandment, commandment in all the law? Jesus said, here it is. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. People are more important to God than piety, than ritual, even than an offering. I wonder this morning if you're remembering something or someone. You know, if the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart about something that's vertical, that's His grace. I wonder in this beautiful Lord's Day morning if instead of your gift or your service or your sacrifice or your offering, if the Holy Spirit of God is reminding you of your relationship, the one with Him and the one with another one of His children, a believer, a neighbor. For many of you here this morning, I'll say it again. It is your relationship with Jesus Christ Himself that the Holy Spirit's reminding you of because you don't have one. God did not send His Son into this world to live His sinless life, to be crucified on a cross, to be risen again, who's coming back again. He did not send His only begotten Son to suffer and bleed and die so that you would appear before Him someday and say, hey, wasn't I religious? Didn't I get baptized? Didn't I give a lot of money? No, no, that's not going to matter. None of that. Jesus said you must be born again. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about your relationship with Christ, then guess what the Bible says? Today is the day of salvation. It says now, not tomorrow, now if ye will hear his voice. I grew up in a military home. All my life, born to the age of 12, when dad retired. At the age of 12, I went to a church, not an Air Force chapel. And I sat in the pew right there, and I heard the gospel for the very first time that clearly. And when that preacher said, if you want to get saved, today's the day, I stepped out. The greatest decision I ever made in my entire life, I didn't wait. It was the right thing to do then. And if you're not saved today, today is the day. Now is the accepted time, the Bible says. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. 
We often say this here at this church at the end of a message, and that is that I don't know the needs of all the folks in this room. Obviously, I couldn't. I know many. We've counseled, we've prayed, we've wept. But I don't know them all. But I, I also know that the Spirit of God does know them. He knows how to speak to every individual heart about every individual need. So if you're saved here today and, and the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, about something. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, you see, Pastor Blake, that's me. I, I'm here today, and I know this. I know I'm saved. I know I'm born again. But in today's text, the Holy Spirit has spoken to my heart as a Christian about something, and I needed this text today. And as a testimony to the Lord, with heads bowed, eyes closed, I raise my hand. Who would say that with uplifted hands? And God bless you, all of you, and amen. You know, honestly, it could be a spouse. It could be a spouse that before you give your gift to the altar, God wants you to get it right. Could be a child. You may be the prodigal in this room and you need to get right with your father, your mother. As we noted, there are many in this room and watching by live stream without doubt who have never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'll say it again. God sent his son to die for the sins of men. If you do not believe and do not receive Christ as Savior, what you're actually saying is, I reject God's offer of salvation. I reject God's Son as my Savior. So that if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, saying, you're lost, you're a sinner, you need to be saved, then that's grace. That's God offering you salvation. Pastor Blalock, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd like to be sure and I need to be sure that no one looking, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Who would say that? Would you lift your hand? Pray for me, Pastor Blake. Like, I, I want to know what it means to truly be saved. God bless you, young lady. Someone else? Hold it up high enough where we can see it. And amen. Anyone else? Yes. Young lady, you as well. We're going to pray in a moment and have a, a time of invitation. And as always, we sing. Folks make decisions, sometimes at the altar here on their knees, sometimes in the pew where they're seated. Sometimes they come and speak to Brother Andy and we share more scriptures. Maybe it's a public decision joining the church. Whatever it is that God is speaking to your heart about, I hope you'll obey his voice. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, the Sermon on the Mount, all of those familiar, beautiful, powerful truths that we're familiar with because of, of messages and reading and sermons. And yet here, couched in there, these powerful reminders from your son to us that to be right vertically, we have to be right horizontally, and especially if we remember something. And I pray that we will, and I pray your people will be strengthened for those who have asked prayer, draw them to you. For anyone in this room that's not saved, we pray for them to come to Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen.